So it starts at the very beginning of a relationship. And if you don't have that wholeness in you, it's really hard to overcome that. And if you haven't had that supportive father figure that is that reinforces you before you even step out on your first date, that this is something that you need to do, um, then it, it becomes very difficult. Why do some women seem to have it all together, whereas others seem to be more like a butterfly trying to survive a tornado? Author Cindy McPike observes there is often a common thread pulling through the fabric that weaves the behaviors of women into consistent patterns, whether directive or destructive. One of these threads can be the presence or absence of a supportive father or father figure in the adolescent lives of women. Author Cindy McPike, in her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood, identifies the common struggles and the transformation that is possible on the path towards emotional health. Join this conversation as host Melody Campbell interviews author Cindy McPike, and they discuss what she has learned on her journey from struggling with coping mechanisms that keep her trapped as a victim to learning to understand her own personal worth and how she developed healthy communications of her own needs. I am here with Cindy McPike, and Cindy is the author of Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. And let me tell you a little bit about it first, and then we'll get Cindy to tell us a little bit about her story and why she wrote this book. For young women who have lacked the influence of a supportive father figure during their formative years, hindrances such as attachment disorder, codependence, sexual promiscuity, and feelings of unworthiness may have prevented them from pursuing their life's goals and leading an emotionally healthy life. Self-initiated emotional transformation is like trying to find your way through the dark in a blindfold and earmuffs without the aid of practical tools to help disperse the impediments. It's hard to realize dreams and fulfill desires while haunted by behaviors rooted in the past. Girls Without Daddies identifies many of the harmful behavior patterns women are locked into as a result of childhood experiences without a positive father figure. Using examples from her own life as a fellow sufferer who made it through a successful business career, Cindy, the author, outlines the key thought processes that can help overcome typical self-defeating behaviors to forge a better life, happy, stable, and successful in relationships. As a kindred spirit herself, Cindy McPike provides a straightforward guide to emotional transformation that is both personal and practical. So that's a lot right there. And I can say, Cindy, that I myself am a kindred spirit. I was raised uh, by a single mom without a dad. And as I read through your book, I could identify with so many of your stories. Talk a little bit about when you first, maybe you identified the problem, but you didn't know what it was that you went, oh, that's what the problem is. 
but um, when did you like realize that, that being a girl without a daddy meant something to who you were as an adult? I basically very first realized it when I was having a difficult time breaking up with a guy. I mean, literally that was my moment. I mean, I had senses of it before, and I think that's the hardest part of of the journey is realizing that that's even a road that you need to be on because you, you might have a sense that, that you feel different or that other people have had some benefits that maybe you didn't have. You might have dismissed them, um, you know, like, oh, that really doesn't matter. I don't, you know, I don't need that to be whole. You don't realize that there's a little piece of something that's just not quite where it needs to be or missing or not quite right. I don't really know the right word to put on it. Um, but essentially, I was dating a guy, and I broke, we broke up over and over, and inevitably, I just, I couldn't let go of the relationship, yet I literally knew that I didn't love the guy enough for it to be causing me that much angst. I mean, it was, like, it should have been super clear-cut, should have been, like, one and done, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not what's working for me but it was so important to me to have that I guess validation and you know I'm going to take that back I think that the rejection even though I was part of the breakup somehow the rejection was just I, I just couldn't accept it you know I, I just couldn't accept it and so I finally decided that the disconnect the disconnect on that one was so great that I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what, and but it was like, it just didn't make sense to me. So I went to see a, a psychiatrist and I went to, as I talked with her, you know, she, she listened to me and she said, you know, I won't, can you describe your, your home life when you were a child? And I said, oh gosh, and I really didn't have very many memories of my home life. And she said, well, I, I'd like you to go talk to your family and find out what they think about that. Why, why do they think that might be the case? Or have them describe your childhood to you if you can't remember it. Mm -hmm. And through that, I was able to go back and, and basically confirm for her what she already knew, which was that through a combination of my father not being there for me, and also my mother being in a, a bad relationship and escaping to work, that I was essentially while I wasn't abandoned, like under the street, living under a bridge or something like that, I was essentially emotionally abandoned. Yeah. And my first reaction to that was, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not emotionally abandoned. I'm a strong woman. And that denial is part of how I survived, but it was also part of what was holding me back because I was turning off my recognition that there was an underlying problem and until you can really recognize and acknowledge a problem, it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, what's mm -hmm. the they have you do? You stand up and you say, I'm an alcoholic. Well, until you can say that out loud, it's kind of hard to deal with the fact that you're an alcoholic. So yeah. I went through that process of having this psychiatrist basically cram down my throat that I had been emotionally abandoned in childhood. And even now, as it comes out of my mouth, I can't tell you how humbling it is for me to say, gosh, this had a big influence on me because I want to be bigger than that. I want to, mm -hmm. I don't want to be held back by the fact, you know, by the deck of cards that was dealt to me. I, I want to transcend that. 
but I just couldn't until I looked at, at why I was having these kind of disconnects in my reactions to things. I mean, why don't you break up with a person when the relationship is clearly not worth it? And, and this one was more than not worth it. It, was, um, it wasn't destructive or abusive or anything like that. It was mildly controlling, um, but it certainly wasn't something that I should be I mean, let's face it, any relationship where you have to scramble and, and, you know, beg, borrow and steal, it's not worth it. You should just, you know, probably just move on. And that's true for friendships or anything. I mean, yeah. at some point you just have to face the fact that, you know, you may have made a selection that lived, that served its purpose for a time. Um, you know, some relationships are that way. Uh, they get you through something and then you find out that maybe that, that, relationship isn't something that's going to be healthy for you in the long run but it was after that kind of finally just having it thrown in my face where I literally could not walk around it and ignore it anymore and uh, even then you know she said well I said well what if, you know she said you have this pit of sadness in you which I don't have anymore I'm quite happy I mean I even that stung a little bit it's like yeah how pathetic is that? I have a pit of sadness. You know, so I kind of remarked a little bit curtly, well, how do I get rid of this pit of sadness? And her answer was, you just need to cry a lot. And I was like, oh, okay. oh no, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> okay, what's option B? Because that is what happened. And she said, that's the only way to get through it. And I proceeded then to slowly kind of unravel a lot of memories and and watch those videos again in my mind with this uh, revelation, I'll call it painful revelation, where I yeah. had to watch it and really see what was happening. You know, so where I had looked at things and made excuses for people, um, in particular, my father or even my mom, and I love my mother with all my heart, you know, and she did the best she could with what she had at the time. Um, and you see, even there, I'm still, still trying to, you know, buffer the impact that these things had on me. It's like, oh, no, I mean, it's okay. And that's my whole childhood. Oh, you know, she's doing the best that she can. She's, you know, she's just not really strong with stuff like that. And that's okay. And, you know, we are who we are. But it was after that, that I, I made my way through this rather, um, I don't want to say painful, because I don't want to scare anybody away from the journey. But to deal with a problem, you have to acknowledge it. And so I slowly watched all these things and, and saw like a video in my head. I went through one memory that I had just, I don't want to say it was painful. It was more like it was parked on a shelf. Mm. You know, maybe I'll process that at a later date. So slowly I pulled one off and I would, you know, process it and look at it and say, okay, you know, that really stunk. You know, I was a little kid. Somebody should have been there for me. Somebody yeah. said, this isn't right. You know, this shouldn't be happening to you. And I even had family members that, that tried to reach out to me. It, it was, uh, I don't want to say cursory, but it was like, you know, when somebody says, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In your you're like, oh, I don't want to bother them. Whereas if they said, tell me today what I can do to make this easier for you. Right. And you're like, okay, they really mean it. They want, they want to do something for you. The only person I had one relative tell me they knew what was going on, but they couldn't do anything because it would. And, and now I'm speaking about my stepfather because my father was really absentee. So I had the, 
the double whammy of an absentee father and then a, a stepfather that was uh, incredibly manipulative. And mm. um, so I had one family member, well, I know what's going on, but I can't offer to let you live with me because that would break your mother's heart. Okay, well, you know, all right. I don't know, as a little kid, how do you respond to that? Yes, my mother is is not as strong as I am. So I'll be the strong one and stay here because I don't want to break my mother's heart. So then mm. Rescue. You just decide this is my life and I'm going to cope with it. I did have, oddly, my great grandmother lived in a assisted care nursing home. And I think the most touching moment for me, I went to just visit with her and she said to me, I know what you're going through. I don't know if I can say this without crying. Um, I know what you're going through. And if you want to come and live with me, you can. And no. I, I was so touched by that because it was like somebody saw it and was actually willing to do something for me. Yeah. And that, that was that was like it was peace giving because it showed me that I wasn't crazy. You know what I mean? That 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 it yeah. was real and that somebody did want to help me. And then I made the choice not to live with her because well, A, she lived in assisted care, and I, I didn't know how weird that would be, and it, it, was, <laughs> it was bad, but I don't know that it was, you know, that bad. Again, that's what you tell yourself. Oh, it's not that bad. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll manage through this. Anyway, back to the point. Um, I think the hardest part of the journey is discovering that it's a road that you need to be on, and, yeah. and once you commit to taking that journey, that's really the toughest, the toughest part of the journey. After that, it becomes quite enjoyable. Yeah. Slowly, you can begin to slough off those things. You just pull them off the shelf, you deal with them, and then you set them over here. And yes, they go maybe go from shelf A to shelf B, and then they go from shelf B to shelf, shelf C. It takes, you know, you can't process everything all at once. And, you know, sometimes you just have to set it aside for a little bit and come back to it. Mm -hmm. and you're a little bit, you know, more, I don't want to say emotionally strong, but just in a better position to say, okay, I'm going to look at this again. It's kind of like when you procrastinate at work, you know, it's a big pile of papers, you don't want to deal with it. Then you kind of ruffle through it and you set it aside. And then pretty soon you're like, okay, I'm just going to get this done. Um, yeah. That's, that's the tough part. And that's, that's easier said than done. But, but, but you're right, you get you wade through into it as as deep as you can, and then you set it aside until you can come back. And sometimes it's based on how much knowledge you have. I mean, clearly, as I read through this book, I could see that you were building in, in, in the knowledge you had about this problem. And that as you got to each level at different intervals in your life, you were able to process things a, a little more skillfully as you identified these patterns that had been holding your back your whole life, it doesn't become, it's not like, you know, it's like, Oh, this is the whole plan. <laughs> it's not quite that easy. I mean, wouldn't you agree that it was just it, it over time you were like, okay, there's another level to this, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It definitely comes in stages and it's definitely something that, yeah, it, it's definitely something that you kind of start down that path and then you just, 
you go through phases. I, I think that the one saving grace for me, it, it's been kind of like a catch 22 for me in my life. All my life as I was growing up, I was told by my family, you know, that I was a genius. I'm not a genius, but I was told I was a genius. I am, you know, bright. I'll go that far. But in my mind that had built up my ego on my intelligence, it's kind of amusing to me. That's why I was asking you about the title of this whole thing. If I'm that smart, then why am I struggling? Uh, and I'm like, well, I don't, I, I, part of me thinks, yeah, I'm super smart, right? Mm -hmm. thinks I'm really not that smart. So I have even still yet, you know, people will meet me and they'll say, oh yeah, you're this or that. And I'm like, I wonder where they're seeing that from. Cause I don't, you know, I don't really see that. But at the same time, my point was that the arrogance that arose in me out of this constant reinforcement from my family that I was smart became kind of a double-edged sword to me in the, my growth on this point. And, and people that maybe haven't had that reinforcement, it will be a slightly different journey for them. So mm -hmm. for me, my arrogance got me in trouble, but at the same time, it pressed me through some of the tough spots before I started this journey because I would just try to dismiss things intellectually and say, no, my heart is telling me I'm, I'm not smart, but I know I'm smart. And so yeah. that's through on the assumption that my brain has more going for it than this beating thing in my chest that really doesn't have a neuron in it to tell me what the truth is. So it, for me, that part of the journey was both easier and harder. Um, I would say that somebody that maybe hasn't had that reinforcement of their intelligence, you know, might sit back and say, well, you know, I, I, maybe I don't think I'm as smart as, as Cindy thinks she is. And I would say, well, you probably are smarter than me, number one. But number two, uh, don't let that hold you back. Because for me, that was as, as big of a albatross around my neck as it was a benefit because I got myself into more trouble by my arrogance than than I think being more humble would have done for me so it, I, I don't know if I've explained that very well but no and, and that makes sense because I think um like as, as I'm looking at this like from you know from my perspective having different set of life experiences but we have the common thread that we were both raised without dads I I don't know that I, you know, had this sense that I thought I was, or, or that I was even told that I was so smart in the intellectual sense of things. But if I would achieve something or excel at something, I had something else inside of me that told me that even in that achievement, I was not worthy of it. Yes. That's the... That's the struggle that goes on, still to this day goes on inside of me. And I think that's kind of what you were describing. There was this push and pull of opposite ends of the spectrum. It, you've, you've literally hit the nail on the head. And I mean, I, I have to assume to some, some extent, most human beings have a little bit of that struggle. Um, but that's an assumption. I don't know. I'm not, you know, a, a, a most human beings. Um, <laughs> But it definitely, you know, it, it definitely to me to this day, there is a, a tiny bit of that. Um, but, you know, that's what keeps us from going over the edge into becoming a, a world-class uh, jerk. So, 
Well, you know, there's humbleness and then there's unworthiness. And those are two different things. And I, it took me a long time to realize that because when you're humble, it gives you the space to lift others around you up. But when you're unworthy, you can't just step aside to let someone shine. You got to beat yourself up to let someone else shine. And that's a completely different experience. So let's talk a little bit about, um, because this will set us up for, for future episodes where we'll go in a little bit deeper into identifying some of the common patterns and what are the solutions? Because we don't want to just leave everybody hanging like, oh my gosh, that's me, now what do I do? Um, just let's talk, let's identify girls without daddies. And first of all, let's start with father absence. What, you know, it's not all dads who are jerks. Yeah. What, 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 what is father, what could encompass father absence? Father absence can be uh, emotional abandonment. Um, it can be, uh, uh, gosh, there's a whole list in my book. I should have pulled that up. Uh, well, like what if somebody, you know, like if somebody who their father dies when they're young, I mean, that's still, even though the father was maybe great and, but died when they were three. Oh, it's the same thing. I mean, yeah. no matter what, when you're a 16 year old girl, and there's a guy that wants to date you. If if you have a you know a father that puts his arms around you and says, "Honey, you know that guy isn't good enough for you," that's a whole lot different than a girl who doesn't even know if if she's pretty to men mm -hmm. because yeah. never heard that from a man. You know, she's going to be much more. You know, you want as a as a woman, you want to be where you're looking for something. If if you want a relationship, that you're looking for something where one plus one is is more than one. Mm -hmm. Often, as a girl without daddies, uh, a girl without a dad or a supportive father figure or what how whatever shape that may take for you, if you don't have that, you're point five. So you're coming into it, you know, with someone that. If they're a 0.5, you know, now you've got 0.5 plus 0.5 is one. Together, you're not, it's, the math is never going to work. That relationship right. way too needy. You're too needy. They're too needy. Um, you're going to instantly have noise in the relationship because instead of being able to say to somebody, hey, when you said this, I don't know if you realized how it felt to me, but this is what I heard, and I, I'm not sure that's even what you meant but that's what I heard. And the other person is whole enough to look at you and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's how that, I can see how you might take it that way, but that is absolutely not what I meant. And they say what they meant, boom, problem solved. Right. If you're a girl without a daddy and somebody says something, particularly a man that you're in a relationship with, your first reaction is just a, you know, it feels like somebody just stabbed a knife in your heart. And, and so you're immediately on the defensive. And mm -hmm. when you're on the defensive, you're not in a position to say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Is this what you meant to say? You're in the mm -hmm. position of, wow, either I'm completely unworthy of this guy or what a jerk. You just try to build yourself up. And then you get into that where you start talking to your girlfriends about what a jerk your boyfriend was to you. That's not productive, right? If you right. can't talk to the person you're in a relationship with and say, honestly, when you just talk to me that way, uh, it, it really, this is what I heard. Mm -hmm. It didn't 
feel good and did I misunderstand you because I, you may have just spoken quickly um, and maybe they were a jerk in which case then you're to the core of the problem right and right. if they can accept that they said something mean and come back and just say oh my gosh yeah you know if their reaction is well, why would you take it that way then you know if you're a whole person you look at this and you say that person isn't really whole enough for me to be in a relationship with because I don't want to spend my life trying to justify my feelings to somebody. My feelings are my feelings and they're legitimate. Um, I might have misunderstood or they might have said something without realizing it. But if I have to, to basically browbeat them to get them to hear that they, they said something that I, I misunderstood and that they could maybe have phrased it differently, then that's a waste of my energy. And right without a daddy that's just not the way your brain goes you get too caught up in am i worthy you get stopped at the beginning of the process and then the whole relationship then starts this kind of a sideways turn where it's just not quite right and it just goes back and forth like that until it eventually just you know end over ends and you've got a deadly collision and the relationship just has to end so it starts at the very beginning of a relationship. And if you don't have that wholeness in you, it's really hard to overcome that. And if you haven't had that supportive father figure that is that reinforces you before you even step out on your first date, that this is something that you need to do, um, then it, it becomes very difficult. And you, you made a, uh, just a little phrase there. I just kind of want to highlight that. You said father figure. So, you know, you could have had... Um, you know, uh, the father absence come from anything from death, divorce, or, or even, you know, a father that's in the house that is not actually behaving like a very good father. But if someone else steps into your life, um, you know, a grandfather or an uncle or somebody who can step in and, and be that emotional um, mirror, I guess, so to mirror that, you know, um, emotional maturity mirror to you as you're maturing, does that seem to make a difference or does it have to be a biological father? Oh, it absolutely doesn't have to be a biological father. For example, if, if there's a, a couple that happen to be uh, both women and they've adopted a child, they don't have to have a biological father for that child to, to be, uh, you know, if they have a daughter, for example, they can find, a, you know, a, it could be a close friend that behaves like an uncle. It could be an uncle. It could be a grandfather. It could be any number of people that could fill that role. You don't have to have a, your biological father does not have to be the one. So, for example, in my situation, if in the absence of a, of a biological father that had and if my stepfather had been a supportive father figure, that would have sufficed fine and, you know, versus the opposite of supportive. So that's why I write in the book, you know, if you're a mother and you're divorced and, and the father is really not engaging and most don't after seven years, uh, after a few years, most fathers are very disengaged. I mean, they might may or may not still be paying child support, but they might be emotionally you know, not available to the children at all. They mm -hmm. might think they are. They might reach out on a cursory level, but, you know, there's fighting in the divorce and that the children start to withdraw and they don't start talking to either parent. But 
No, it, it absolutely can be any number of people and no one should ever despair, especially a young mother that's found herself in a situation where that's without you know, her ability to control it. She finds herself in a situation raising a daughter that, you know, where there's not a father in the house. That's totally okay. Mm -hmm. You find all kinds of surrogates uh, that can fill that role. I would just go so far as to have a conversation with them that that's what you're looking for and just make it very clear to them. I, I would like you to fill this role in my daughter's life for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Uh, there isn't a biological father. Maybe the design, like I said, if it's in a, 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 a gay marriage <clears throat> where there was never going to be a father figure, that that's absolutely okay. Um, if you're, you know, if you're comfortable recognizing that you can't be everything to both children, you know, or to, to the children, you know, mm -hmm. there are different issues for young men or, or boys without supportive father figures and likewise for, you know, without supportive mother figures. It's, it's a very complex interactive environment for a child. Um, but yeah, you don't have to have a supportive father figure. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, you don't have to have a supportive biological father in the household to right. have an emotionally balanced child. And, and sorry to, to interrupt, but you know, and this goes beyond just their, their behavior as children or as teenagers and beyond um, relationships like with a, a significant other or a spouse or a boyfriend, it carries over into the workplace. Absolutely, it does. Um, there's some, you know, dangerous, it can be dangerous, actually, for a young girl in the workplace, because, you know, you can, you can think you're relying on one of your male co-workers thinking that it's a friendship, <laughs> and be surprised when they have different designs. Um, but mm -hmm. you, you've misread those signals because you're looking, you know, for that father figure. And they think something else is going on. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a, that can be a whole mess. This is really good. Something happens to the mental and emotional patterns of a young woman who's raised without a supportive father figure. And um, in the next uh, few episodes, we're gonna, we're gonna take Cindy's book chapter by chapter, and this will add some commentary to the book if you're reading it, to um, what, so what are the problems and then what are the solutions? We're gonna kind of break it down um, piece by piece. And if you happen to see yourself or just rec readily recognize, maybe somebody referred you to this podcast and said, hey, this, you know, this might shed some light on, on your life style or your the life that you're living and you feel like why can't I seem to move forward why what's holding me back this hopefully um, will shed some light on maybe something you never considered or maybe were reluctant to consider that the fact that you were raised without a supportive father figure might play a bigger role just like Cindy was saying might play a bigger role than you want to admit to so thank you for sharing. I know this is, you know, you, this gives you lots of opportunities, Cindy, to, to be vulnerable and tell your story, but um, I'm looking forward to each new episode. And um, so just really quick, sum it up with what's, what's your goal? And if somebody reads your book or listens to these podcasts just succinctly, what's, what's your goal? What do you hope that um, your listeners and your readers get out of this? 
Well, first and foremost, I think the most important thing is just the recognition that there is something holding you back, the literal recognition of it, just your ability to stand up in front of room and say, instead of I'm an alcoholic, I'm a girl without a daddy and understanding that. Um, of some of the women that I know that have read the book have come up to me, uh, you know, after they've read it and um, teary-eyed, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. And I, you know, I, I just, like, it's like the, the recognition of that even being something that they need to really, need is, I would like to say need, but, you know, I don't really want to cram anything down anyone's boat, uh, throat, but, you know, just the recognition. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is the, the most difficult step is that first step. Once you start down the path, um, you know, it's really pretty easy. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, it's easier than living in the dark. Well, you made, I'm just trying to see if I can find it. You made a comment. Uh, oh, you, in your book, you said, why do some women seem to have it all together where others seem more like a butterfly trying to survive a tornado? And I think that the realization of, oh, this is why I'm the butterfly trying to survive a tornado can be incredibly grounding. It's not the, it's not the solution, but man, it's a good start. Exactly. It's a really good start. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. So thank you, Cindy. And I'm looking forward to our next episode and um, we'll dig into this a little deeper and hopefully see a lot of people um, experience some mental and emotional freedom. You have been listening to a conversation with Cindy McPike, author of Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. This life-changing book is available at Amazon.com in paperback or Kindle version. To invite Cindy for podcast interviews or speaking opportunities, visit girlswithoutdaddies.com. Tune in next week for another emotional transformation conversation.